Hello, Fight Fans. Welcome back to another week of the MMA Cutmen. From Seattle, Washington, I am your host, Kevin Mendelson, joined, as always, by my co-host from MMAinterviews.tv, Marcus Schmidley. Marcus, we're off to a bit of an auspicious start with this show today. Yeah. A little bit uh, of an annoying start. Can't exactly get a hold of a, a, a lovely interview that we had set up. But nathless, we will uh, we will trudge forward. <laughs> what? And uh, we're going to get to some some great content later in the show, but now we've got some quality time. We can talk about uh, last weekend's festivities. Yeah, you know, we didn't have a show last weekend. We did have a show. Rest assured, we did a show for you all. Uh, Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties, some hiccups here and there. Very, uh, like I said, technical stuff. We don't want to bore you with it. Uh, So that show may never see the light of day, which is probably for the better. But instead, today we're going to catch you up on UFC 145, we're going to catch you up on Bellator 66, and who knows, there may be more people listening to this show than watched Bellator 66 last week. That was just a joke, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. We've got some headlines for you, and then at the end of the show, in round three, we're going to preview Bellator 67. Yeah, no no show this week for Bellator. Is that a mistake? We'll get to that, and also the UFC on Fox 3 card coming up next week as well. It's time! First things first. I feel like every week I've got to draw that out a little more. I'm starting to think you enjoy it as the show progresses, but... uh, It's my new catchphrase. It's fantastic. UFC 145 last week, the the big one, as they call it. John Jones and Rashad Evans in your main event. Light heavyweight title was on the line. John Jones takes a pretty, almost, you want to say, easy unanimous decision victory over a former champion in his own right, Rashad Evans. Slightly boring, a little status quo. I think that's a lot lot of people expected that to happen. And I think a lot of us, maybe myself included, were hoping to see some fireworks and and maybe to see Rashad Evans prove that uh, there's more than one dog in the backyard. But John Jones and his 84.5-inch reach... Uh, it is just you know too much for a lot of these guys. Uh, and at the end of the day, while he couldn't get the finish, John Jones just vastly superior as far as athleticism, as far as length, uh, and and he's also very very talented as we saw with his ability to come back in in the first round of that fight. Uh, interesting fight. I don't know that I'd ever pay to watch it again though. And we looked at it a couple weeks ago when we previewed the fight. The almost overhype of this fight maybe overshadowed just what we were going to watch. And you talked about it uh, on online, on Facebook, how just the walkouts had a, had a huge big fight feeling. And then from there, it just was kind of a big letdown. Rashad lands a, a big kick in the first round that I think is probably what stole the round for him on a couple of cards. After that, it was just all John Jones. Well, it was interesting if you're watching the walkouts, and you know, I'm sure for a lot of fight fans, you're not paying attention to stuff like that. You're getting your beer, you're getting your Fritos. I want to know who's coming out to what music. Well, I do too. I, I care way too much about stuff that doesn't <laughs> matter and is on the periphery of the fight game. Uh, but that being said, it, it did have a big boxing prize fight feel to it. And and you watch these two guys. You know, the UFC is great about setting up these grudge matches. Frank Mir, Brock Lesnar. You know. George St. Pierre against any guy who's never liked George St. Pierre has been billed as the biggest fight in the history of the UFC. Jake Shields didn't really dislike him. It was just... 
Right, but the the promos were great. They set this whole thing up. That, oh, Jake Shields is the guy who's got to come in and he's got to dethrone GSP. That's just how the UFC marketing machine works, and it works well. However, in this case, uh, I, I think you saw a tale of, yes, these two guys didn't like each other. Yes, they had trained before uh, and had a familiarity with each other, but as the fight actually happens in the cage, it's not a sparring session. It's not training. These guys have to go full speed. There's no pads. And, and and the fight itself never had an opportunity at any point to live up to all of the billing it was getting the months and weeks leading up to the fight. Well, and you saw that the first round, I, I mentioned the Rashad Evans head kick. In the second round, John Jones came back and finally started putting to use his nickname. Oh, another beautiful elbow by John. Love how he throws that. And the elbows can be much more damaging than a punch. And again, and he stacked him with that elbow. Closing in is Jones. And another elbow. Now those elbows, the most significant strikes of this fight. No doubt. Throwing the elbows at Rashad Evans. Caught him a good couple of times. And and I think Rashad Evans even mentioned after the fight, he didn't prepare for that. Well, he couldn't have. You know, that's not something those guys are going to be throwing at each other in practice. They don't want to cut each other, uh, do any damage of, of that sort. So he had no idea that John Jones could stick his hands out there like that, play patty K, and then come over the top with these vicious elbows. And for for the majority of the fight, it was actually kind of odd to watch Rashad Evans. He, he didn't have, at the time, the mental awareness to go, he's continually doing that, I'm doing nothing to stop it, maybe I have to come up with a different game plan. I think you saw in that second round, though Rashad Evans had a lot of the momentum in the first those elbows did enough damage. I think they put a little fear into Rashad Evans. I think that length of those arms became evident. And I think Rashad kind of went into backpedal mode more than he's ever used to, uh, and it threw him completely off his game. Yeah, you'd figure at some point, if some guy's getting in close and landing those shots that John Jones was starting to hit in the second round, you're a wrestler, Rashad Evans. Right. You went to Penn State, or no. Michigan State. Michigan State. I'm sorry. It was Phil Davis that went to Penn State. Right. You're a wrestler. Dive for the knees. Take him down. At least try. You didn't see a semblance of that until almost the, the fourth or fifth round. Well, as, as we've discussed with Rashad Evans, though he has you know, a great, or, a great record, uh, that, that one knockout to Lyoto Machida has, I don't want to say tainted a lot of what people think of him, but I don't necessarily think he's the entertaining fighter that we remember uh, after that knockout loss. I mean, if you look at his resume, Tiago Silva... He took a three-round decision. Quentin Rampage-Jackson, he took a very close three-round decision. I want to stop you on the on the Rampage-Jackson fight. Remember the other big fight that Rashad Evans has had that was billed up as this huge grudge match? Correct. Rampage-Jackson turned into a decision fight. Really wasn't that great of a fight I, I other than a couple thought, of big shots. I actually thought Rampage won that fight, and I think that's where a lot of this issue comes from. You know, you look at that resume, as I mentioned, you know, Michael Bisping, uh, a split decision. A lot of people thought Bisping won that fight. Chuck Liddell gets knocked out. Forrest Griffin gets knocked out. All of a sudden, Rashad Evans is a title holder. After he gets knocked out in brutal fashion, and we see it everywhere online, that that <laughs> that the picture will haunt him forever. Ever since that head kick or, or the series of, of punches that, that put Rashad Evans out, he's had two decisions. Uh, he, he knocked out Tito Ortiz with knees to the body. I think that's kind of status quo. He beats Phil Davis by decision. We will both agree he looked pretty dominant in that fight. Uh, but it still wasn't his greatest effort. And then he loses a decision to John Jones. It feels to me like Rashad Evans, the more he gets into this fight game, 
uh, after taking that knockout, he's become a much more conservative fighter. Uh, I still think he's one of the best strikers in the division. I think he's one of the best strikers in the sport. However, when he started to lose against John Jones, I think you'll agree, he took his foot completely off the gas and just tried not to get knocked out. Yeah, there was one shot that he landed at the beginning of the third round. One good shot that he put in on, on John Jones kind of did his little sugar dance, as you'll, as you'll hear Mike Goldberg tell you about in just a moment. And after that, he, like you said, he basically went into shutdown just trying to survive. The battle continues for the light heavyweight belt. Now watch for the right hand because he's got the attention of Rashad with the left elbow. Big right hand by Evans. And Sugar with a little confident stroll towards the champion. Yeah, no, I I thought it was an interesting way for him to fight. Uh, He talked so much before the fight about this was his fight to win. He was going to go out there and prove to everybody that John Jones is not the guy he says he is, that he's too cocky, that he doesn't have the game that he has. But but when you watch the two guys in there, it, all of that hyperbole has to be thrown out. When you look at a guy like John Jones who's who's got heavyweight frame but is able to fit it into a light heavyweight body, and, and the flip side of that is Rashad Evans is a light heavyweight who could probably fight at middleweight, and I think you and I would like to see that happen at some point in his career. He could take on an Anderson Silva or whoever's on top of that division because the title shot's going to be hard for him to get. But nevertheless, when they were actually in there, they looked like two different weight classes competing, and I think that's one of the reasons that Rashad Evans wasn't able to do anything to John Jones. He could have tried for takedowns. He could have gone out of his way to throw more punches, the problem was he realized very early on he was going to have to take a lot of damage. He was going to have to be willing to get knocked out to get that knockout. And, you know, test the wills, Rashad Evans was not willing to bend enough until he had to break. Well, and it's easy to, to go into a fight and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to throw at him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw punches. I'm going to get all up in his face. And then when you actually step into the cage with a specimen like that and go, oh, uh, crap. He's throwing punches, too. Right. And you've seen what he can do to people. You see the the highlight of the Matt Hamill fight that, you know, obviously went down as a loss. But you you see that that power in person. And you go, oh, uh, I need to rethink this. And he didn't do a very good job of it. And I'm sure there's probably going to be plenty of people going, well, that's the Greg Jackson effect. And I, I don't want to hear that. Well, Jones had finished his last three opponents. I mean, you're talking about the three best fighters in the game at, at Light Heavyweight with Leota Machida, Quentin Rampage Jackson, and, and Mauricio Shogun. Who he finished them all. So does Rashad Evans get kind of a leg up? Do we give him a kudos for lasting all five rounds? No. Or do we say, you know, he's a talented fighter. John Jones couldn't figure him out enough to finish him. You know, tip of the cap to Rashad Evans for being the second best light heavyweight in the world. But at the end of the day, I think if you're going to beat John Jones, you've got to be willing to go in there thinking, I'm going to lose, but I'm going to lose in a vicious fashion if I can't get what I want. Dan Henderson might be a guy who who can go in there thinking, I'm willing to go out on my sword to get this victory. Rashad Evans was not that guy, and that's why the fight failed to live up to the hype. I think it did around 700,000 pay-per-view buys, which is a pretty decent number for the UFC. But pay-per- not what they were hoping for. Not what they were hoping for. Um, I don't think that anyone wants to see a rematch of these two guys. And on top of a card, I think that you'll agree, 
a main card that was full of violence, it kind of left you wanting a little bit more. And Dana White actually had something to say about that. John, fight, I thought John Jones uh, fought a great fight tonight. In the, in you know, you know how the critics are, and the haters are going to talk a bunch of smack about how John didn't do this and John didn't do that. Well, what you got to do is you got to respect Rashad Evans. Give Rashad Evans the respect he deserves, and you can give John Jones the respect he deserves tonight. I call bull. bull I can't say that on the radio, can I? Well, it's the internet. I can say what I want. I call BS on Dana. I, I agree and disagree with him at the same time. I think his statement is in the mix of statements he could have <laughs> said after that. He's he's a guy. He's a promoter. He's going to say stuff like that. He's got to back his boy John Jones. He wants to back his boy Rashad Evans. They're they're both very likable characters for the UFC. But at the end of the day, the fight was nowhere near as exciting as I think everyone had hoped. And next up for John Jones is going to be. Yeah, we told Dan Henderson that he would fight the winner of of this fight. The H bomb. We can't call him that. More Ronaldo might get us might get in trouble with us or get us in trouble with him. Dan Henderson is next on the list for John Jones. Jones didn't take any damage. How soon can we see this fight? Soon. You know, I, maybe UFC 150, 151. They may, you know, try to get that on, on Fox or something. Dan Henderson's a guy, I think he's opening at 5 or 6 to 1 underdog. Uh, I love Dan Henderson. I'm one of his biggest fans. I don't see how he can compete with the speed, the length, and the athleticism. Um, he's able to knock out guys that you really kind of are taken aback, you know, you, you think of Fedor and all those guys. He's been able to put down some really good fighters, but, you know, we talk about Rashad Evans is, is a different kind of cat, uh, and he wasn't able to really do anything against John Jones. I love Dan. I, I think he deserves this title shot, but barring a miracle, uh, I don't see how he can come out on top. The violence uh, of John Jones will be evident, and as far as violence on that fight card goes, can we talk any bigger about a fighter and, and his violence than Rory McDonald? That's incredible. All Rory McDonald in this a very tough test. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you, if you knew how good Shane Mills is, you would appreciate how spectacular Rory McDonald looks. Just trying to finish That's it right the, here. This is the end of the fight. Yep. It is all over. Rory McDonald Total. has defeated Shane Mills. Complete domination. This guy's the next big thing, and, and it's it's scary to he, see. He's a young kid, put away Chain Mills with, with you know punches in the second round. I, I think a lot of people thought he was capable of doing this. He has one loss on his resume. It's a setback to the interim champ, Carlos Condit. And I hear that he's is, pretty good. Yeah, that's not a bad blemish to have when you're, when you're talking about a guy who... I, I think Rory was probably a good, what, 20 seconds away from winning that fight. He got stopped in the last seven or eight seconds by, mm-hmm. by Condit with... A, a brilliant flurry from Condit, and, and that's what I'm used to from Carlos Condit. Roy McDonald's a young kid. Chain Mills, a little bit of a mismatch. I think you'll agree. We'd like not to see that happen again with Rory. No, I, but I think that was the kind of fight that I think that Zufa thought that he needed. A coming to, out party, so to speak. Yeah, you know, give him, give him the big stage as the co-headliner to, to a huge main event championship fight. Let everybody see what this kid's all about. We've seen him on, on Spike cards. We've seen him on, uh, on the free shows, but... Well, I, you know, it, it was it was a fight that made sense uh, for Che Mills. He just had a, a win over Chris Cope. I, I don't know how what Rory McDonald was able to accomplish in the division he was in. He beat Nate Diaz. He'd beaten some good guys. I think what he was fighting, Che Mills, was a step down. Nevertheless, he's going to get a victory. He's going to move on to uh, Josh Koscheck, those kind of fighters, and it should be entertaining. Ben Rothwell, a guy I think you and I will agree, you know, his pedigree... His fight resume, he's got a lot of wins. What, 31-8 and eight now? Uh, 
Brendan Schaub is in trouble, and Ben Rothwell is the guy that put him there. Yeah, and Schaub was a, a great prospect coming up out of the Ultimate Fighter, made it to the finale, lost to Roy Nelson, and almost took a bigger uh, a bigger career trajectory than Roy Nelson was on. Right. And all of a sudden, he gets stomped by by uh, Nelson, Big, big yeah. Nog. Well, yeah, for, but first you've got to go all the way back to that final. A right hand did him in against Nelson in the final. You're looking at a right hand against Big Nog that put him down. And Ben Rothwell, who... You know, I consider to be a very sneaky good striker. I think we've discussed before has about a 91% finishing rate in his fight career. The guy just does not like winning decisions. He's good with his strikes. He's good with his submissions. He's a bear. He's a big dude, uh, and he's good at finishing opponents. I don't think a whole lot of people saw this fight going that way because of the way Rothwell fought against Mark Hunt a couple of months ago. But rally for Mark Hunt, right? I, no, uh, I was a fan to see that Ben Rothwell can compete at this level. He can go in there, take a, a little bit of damage, weather a tiny storm against a more athletic fighter, and then land that critical punch. Uh, I'm excited. Ben Rothwell is a guy I'd like to see him compete with. You know, a Czech Congo or maybe a Strike Force guy that will come in and 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 they can give him an opportunity as well. But a lot of violence from Ben Rothwell, and then I think the violence kind of flowed through the McDonald name. Uh, as Michael McDonald stops Miguel Torres in violent fashion, and we've, we've discussed this ad nauseum, this could be the end for Miguel as far as elite fighting at 135 pounds. Yeah, you can't call it the end, really, the end of the line like you would Chuck Liddell or or those kind of guys because he's only, what, 31 years old? Yeah, 40, 40 and 5. And he's got a lot to offer the division, but maybe more as a gatekeeper uh, than, than we would have ever thought, and which is nuts. I mean, you and I have been watching the WEC for years, uh, it's weird for both of us to call Miguel Torres a gatekeeper. But can you see Miguel Torres maybe moving up a weight class, jumping up to featherweight and, and bringing a challenge to that division? Because it's the featherweight division of the UFC needs something right now. It does. I mean, and, you know, you, you talk a little bit about the featherweight division. You're, you're talking about uh, one of the other main card fights, which was Eddie Yagen and Mark Hominick, Ooh. which was a split decision. Fight of the night. Those guys. I want to know how Mark Hominick felt he won the fight. Yeah. I, the, the Mark Hominick thing, I get it. He's in great shape. But when you're going to spend most of the post-fight doing push-ups after getting your head punched in for four, for five rounds, three rounds, his last eight rounds, he's been a bloody mess, and he's been doing push-ups. Push-ups at the feet of Jose Aldo. Three-fight Pu- losing streak, too. Yeah. So do we see Mark Hominick maybe start to figure out, oh, uh, I should train more and and look to do something else instead of just work on having great cardio and just trying to outlast opponents? Well, I think we'll both agree he looked good against Jose Aldo in the latter portions of that fight. Uh, I thought it was a very close fight, maybe three rounds to two. Uh, That was an admirable loss. Getting knocked out in seven seconds by the Korean Zombie, I don't think anyone thought that was possible at the time, (laughs) yet it happened. I think maybe this is a case of a guy taking Eddie Yagen too lightly. Uh, Yagen has a lot of power. He's a, he's a small guy, but he he put Hominick on his butt in each of the first two rounds. Hominick came back in the third. He thought he'd done enough to win the fight, which doesn't make sense to either of us because we both saw him clearly knocked down and eating punches from Eddie Yagen. Interesting. Uh, you know, a year ago we were talking about some of these guys competing for titles. Hominick was competing with Aldo. Miguel Torres was supposed to be one of the guys in the bantamweight division that was hovering near a title shot, and Brendan Schaub was a guy who should prop up the heavyweight division. All three of those guys uh, take a good beating at, at UFC 145. Hominick's able to get a split decision loss, doesn't get knocked out, but there were parts of that fight where it looked like he was on his way out. Was there anything on the on the prelim cards that really struck your fancy? I know we both 
Uh, we both whiffed pretty badly on the Maximo Blanco fight. Uh, he loses a split decision to Marcus Brimage. Mac Danzig over Efren Escadero. The entire prelim card up until Travis Brown was handed an arm triangle by Chad Griggs was all decisions. Well, Travis Brown, I think, is an imposing force at heavyweight. But, you know, I was really a little high on Chad Griggs. and The I, Lashley killer. I, I say that in, in the... In the sense that I didn't know what he was capable of, you know, he he'd competed well in strike force, uh, but he seems to be a small heavyweight. And when he was put in there with Travis Brown, he just looked completely outmatched, and and that's a shame because Travis Brown really didn't do anything to uh, secure that arm triangle. It just literally fell into his lap. Uh, talking about the rest of the card, Matt Brown, Stephen Thompson was an entertaining slugfest of sorts, where neither guy had any cardio after the three minute mark, and so they were winging kicks and punches. Brutal, brutal TV. But I think a lot of fight fans probably enjoy that kind of stuff. It, it reminds us of Korean zombie Leonard Garcia in some way. Anthony uh, Najokwani and John McDessie were getting booed in Atlanta during their fight. I thought it was a great kickboxing match. Anthony Najokwani is a fighter from the WEC, uh, a lightweight that I've tried to follow because I think he's an intriguing guy. He's built. He's got some great kicks. I thought he took uh, everything Edson Barboza had to give. Uh, and, and really looked good in, in that fight. He lost, but I thought it was a great fight. He's a guy I think people should be paying more attention to. Even John McDessie, I think, is a talented kid. That was an intriguing fight. Mac Danzig should look good against guys like Efren Escudero. I expected the fifth battle of Ultimate Fighter winners right there. I expected Danzig to win. He jacks up his uh, his ankle in the process, but looked good. I, I don't have a whole lot of nice things I can say about Maxi Blanco after that split decision <laughs> loss. I loved him. Uh, in Sengoku, he was a violent fighter when he was over in Japan. They had, uh, you know, more of a conservative approach to how guys fight over there. Where if if you're not doing damage, you can still be winning a fight. And in in the U.S., that's not the case. You've got to really be hurting dudes and and going out there. And I don't like aggressiveness winning fights, but you can't be so timid and passive that you forget what you're good at. And I think Maxi Blanco really getting away from what he's good at. A very uninspiring prelim card, I think you'll agree. Yeah, it was... Just meh. meh. I mean, it was meh. Uh, You know, Mark Bocek, John Alessio, it was the lead into the main card. I thought that was an intriguing fight because Alessio comes comes in on short notice, and he looked like a guy who could maybe hang in the UFC again. He's a 36-year-old. But it really took the the Hominick-Yagen fight for us to wake up and, and, and really get stoked and prepared for the violence that took place on the rest of the card. So we, we talked before, UFC letter grades... Uh, I'm going to give the UFC 145 a C. I, I think you said somewhere in the B range. I, I was going to give it a B minus just because the main card, because of the younger, or not the younger guys, but the undercard guys, uh, really, as you said, brought the violence, uh, a lot of bloodshed, which, you know, I guess that makes me just the, the typical American bloodthirsty fight fan. But you still, you got a sense of what the UFC could really do. These guys are just winging it. They're going for it. It was a solid card. It was a solid main card. I'll, I, you know, I give the prelims at least a C minus, right? Because uh, it just bored me to sleep. Uh, the main card, I, I was all set to give a, a solid B B plus until what Dana White has already told me was not boring, right? But that last, the the main event wasn't all that great. I would, I wanted to give it a B minus so badly, but I can't do it. I have to keep it in that C range as well. Right. Well, UFC 145 lacks star power, and one of the things that Bellator 66 conversely had was a lot of big names. You're talking top five lightweights in the Bellator cage. A lot of great action over there, uh, and, and a very, very insane stoppage. In a striking way, he recovers. Oh, good right hand. Oh, 
He drops. Alvarez now more big right hands. Here Johnson looking to finish his Alvarez. The towel's in. The towel is in, and they didn't see it. Every Jerry Christian not see the towel, and there is the stoppage. And a tremendous win for Eddie Alvarez, just like that. Man, what a knockout! Aoki's corner right. threw in the towel. It was not seen by referee Jerry Chris. And under the unified rules of MMA, even if Chris saw it, he can ignore it. It is his choice when he stops the fight. And if he stops the fight, Chris waited for more strikes from Alvarez, who then obliged and finished deftly. Yeah, Eddie Alvarez, big knockout. Gets his revenge on Shinya Aoki. It's about three and a half years in the making. And as Sean Wheelock mentioned in that uh, in that audio there, he was wailing on Aoki. Aoki's corner throws in the towel, and it it doesn't matter if you throw in the towel. Under under the unified rules, as Sean said, you can just beat the holy hell out of somebody. If the referee goes, show me more, then so be it. And that's actually something that we've been, we were talking about a few weeks ago about referees being a little more consistent. Well, this isn't boxing. I mean, you know, I don't know why Shinya Aoki's people would think that Throwing in the towel is going to get him out of a fight he was taking damage in because he's a one-dimensional submission artist who doesn't know how to strike and looks for takedowns only to secure heel hooks. I mean, as much as both you and I thought that this fight was going to be amazing, and it, and it was in, in some sense, uh, you know, Shinya Aoki has to develop more than this. We saw this against Gilbert Melendez. Uh, we see this against Eddie Alvarez, the last two top 10, top 5 fighters, you can say. That he's faced, he also faced them both in a cage on American soil. Uh, he's got to get better. I mean, you know, he's a great fighter, um, but when your corner is throwing in the towel before you've eaten a, a sensational amount of punishment, they didn't want you in that position, and they thought you'd be able to do what you wanted to do. I'm disappointed that Shinyaoki can't become a more well-rounded mixed martial artist and that he has to have his corner throw in towels so that he doesn't take punishment. Nevertheless, Eddie Alvarez looked great, looked exactly like we thought he would, and, and really shows that he's capable of defeating any lightweight in the world. So how soon do we see Eddie Alvarez maybe head to, I don't know, the UFC? Yeah, I think he's he's got to be headed there. I don't think, you know, maximum fighting championship or any super fight league is going to be able to afford him. Made $100,000 for that fight. Shinya Aoki made 60000 He made um, He made a dollar for every person that watched, just about. Exactly. 109,000 people oh, tuned in to MTV2 for that. Unbelievable. Which is, which is amazing when you think of... What that means, two top five, top seven lightweights, and only 109,000 people cared enough to tune in. And those that, that was a great fight uh, as far as violence and name and everything. There was a lot of other interesting, intriguing stuff that happened on the main fight card, some decent stuff on the prelims. 109,000 people. One of the lowest numbers I've seen Bellator ever have. Bellator averaged almost 300,000 people last season. Season right. season 5 they were they were doing respectable numbers for where they were. Now the bottom's fallen out even with what we've been seeing is great fights. What the hell happened? Well, you and I can tout uh Bellator as an organization worth watching because of its star power as much as we like, but the fact of the matter is that uh people are tuning in MTV2 for 16 and pregnant for the real world. They're not really looking for fights. 109 I'd rather see I'd rather see the one-shot kid. Exactly. I mean, Jersey Shore can Pulling 3.3 million viewers on a Thursday evening, Bellator is putting. You know, let's be clear. What Bellator just did 
uh, on last Friday at Bellator 66 is something that the UFC hasn't probably done in their last couple, you know, aside from Henderson and, and Edgar, uh, you know, and maybe you can say Ed, Edgar and Maynard, the UFC hasn't ever been able to put together fights between lightweights where you've got two of the top five guys. I mean, usually you're, you're getting a guy on a on win streak, like a Clay Guida who sneaks in there or Nate Diaz or, or even a Jim Miller. Bellator was able to put together a showcase fight that, that, that Strikeforce should be jealous of. And 109,000 people tuned in. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to, to be touting this organization, but I don't know that you can blame it so much on them as much as MTV2 is just not doing what they want. And Spike, uh, you know, Spike TV has to be the way of the future. Well, think about it this way. 108,000 people watched Bellator 61. Right. Bellator 61 was supposed to have the Eric Prindle Tiago Santos fight. We had four opening round fights on that uh, on that card, all of them for the middleweight tournament. 108,000 people. That okay, I could see that. Nobody knows who any of these guys are. They're not watching. But 109,000 people for two guys as you said, top 7 in the world? Well, what's what's amazing is that uh, those middleweights that competed on the 108,000 uh viewer card we're competing again. The winners were competing. So well, an three extra, of them were. Right. A, an extra thousand people tuned in to watch Eddie Alvarez and Shin Yaoki. Embarrassing. Just embarrassing numbers. The fight card itself was actually pretty good. I think, you know, uh, we can talk about Brian Rogers and, and, and Michael Falco all we want, but I, I think the, the names from the middleweight tourney semifinal that most people are going to kind of gravitate towards were Vasislav Vasilevsky, who I think a lot of people thought won his fight with Michael Falco. And then there's this guy that I don't think either of us had ever heard of entering this tournament. Oh my God, this is over! And there's the finish! A lightning strike win for Andreas Spang! And he has booked his place in the middleweight tournament final! That is what I call a comeback! Rogers threw everything but the kitchen sink at Spang. Spang caught him with the counter shot. This fight is over. Yeah, Andreas Spang, the sweet Swede, as they call him, he steps in on literally a week's notice. So you commend him for that. But one week's notice gets hammered by Brian Rogers in the first round of that fight and then just turns the tables on him and clobbers him, knocks him out in the second round. He's going to the to the tournament to the tournament final against Michael Falco, who who won a unanimous decision. It was a very close fight. I, I thought uh, Vasilevsky won. Falco and Spang have some history. They got into a little post-fight, pre-title fight, or final fight, excuse me, uh, scuffle. They were both suspended very, very short amounts and fined a little bit. Yeah, they're not missing this fight. They're not going to miss this fight. This fight is a huge fight because, you know, there's a middleweight in Bellator who is headed to the UFC, and we'll discuss him. That sounds him. like a tease. That, yeah, we'll discuss him in a little That's bit. That's good. That's good radio. Uh, but the winner of this middleweight tournament final will compete against Alexander Shulmenko. When Wait. he gets healthy, and that will be for the vacant title. Uh, so, oh, you ruined it! You ruined the tease. I, I don't think I did. I, I, I hope that people know who I'm talking about. But uh, yeah. an interesting middleweight tournament semifinal. Rick Hahn also knocks out Lloyd Woodard in, in the lightweight tournament semifinal, and Brent Weedman sneaks past Tiago Michel in a fight. I thought Brent Weedman lost that fight. He gets away with it. He's going to be fighting Rick Hahn. In the lightweight tournament final, winner of that fight gets to compete against Mr. Michael Chandler. Oh, see, that's not a spoiler. We already knew that one. The funny thing about Rick Hahn and Lloyd Woodard, they had a solid first round, a good competitive first round. 
Ten seconds is all it took in the second round for Rick Hahn to take out Lloyd Woodard. Ready? Lloyd Let's Woodard's go. only career loss, April of last year, the semifinal round of the Bellator Season 4 Lightweight Tournament, losing by unanimous. Oh, good right by Rick Hahn. That's Here's right hand by Rick Hahn, and that is it. Game set match, Rick Hahn, and he has booked his place in the lightweight tournament. Lloyd final. Woodard is still wobbly. He's protesting, but he's on rubber legs. He got caught. Yeah, Lloyd Woodard went bomber man in the second round and just started going forward thinking he was just going to land what it took to to come out ahead. Uh, and, and that kind of aggression against a guy who is as composed and as strategic as Rick Hahn backfired. Hahn is a good counterpuncher. He's got great judo. And, and when you walk towards him and you have your hands down, he's going to land a right hand or, or a crushing left hook or an uppercut. And he did that. Ten seconds into the second round, Rick Hahn advances a great, I would say, a great uh, lightweight debut for him in Bellator. We saw him compete at, at welterweight, thought he was pretty good. Uh, this is a different kind of animal at lightweight. Could be a guy that carries Bellator uh, for months and years to come. That's Marcus Schmidley from MMAinterviews.tv. I'm Kevin Mendelson. That's it for round one. Round two coming up, we're going to have your MMA headlines, including what Marcus teased and then didn't tease and may have spoiled. But we'll <laughs> we'll give you the full story on the Bellator championship, the middleweight champion of Bellator, or is he anymore? We'll see. We'll be back after the break. We are the MMA Cutmen. We'll be right back.